Please grab your Bibles and turn with me to 1 Corinthians 14, the end of 1 Corinthians chapter 14 today. Let me read verses 36 to 38, and then I'll open with a prayer. 1 Corinthians 14, 36. Was it from you that the Word of God first went forth, or has it come to you only? If anyone thinks he is a prophet or spiritual, let him recognize that the things which I write to you are the Lord's commandment. But if anyone does not recognize this, he is not recognized. Let's pray. Father, again, we are thankful that because of Your great work, because of Your design, because of Your preconceived plan, we have been brought near to You through the gospel. We have been brought into right relationship with You, and that will never, ever be altered. We are Your children once now and forevermore. We enjoy this privileged position because of the work of our Savior, Jesus Christ, and for that we give you our lives in gratitude. And God, we ask that today as we look into your Word and we examine what it is that you said to this church, the church in Corinth, and what you're saying to our church today, that our hearts would be wide open, that we would hear the importance of embracing your Scripture, that we would we would really wrap our minds around the fundamental importance of this issue, that we embrace Your command. God, give us a great time of, of fellowship as we look at this Word from You. And Lord, we ask together that though I am a sinner, I am fallen, that I would not get in the way as the one preaching today, that I wouldn't get in the way of Your Word, but that You would speak clearly to the hearts and minds of your people and renew our minds in your word today, we ask in Jesus' name, amen. Well, Paul's opening questions here to the Corinthians are a bit punchy, aren't they? Verse 36, there's sarcasm here, there's a biting quality to these questions, they're pretty, pretty sharp, but he's asking these questions in order to make a point. Again, verse 36 Oh, Corinthians, <laughs> was it from you that the Word of God first went forth? And what, of course, is the answer? Well, no. Has it come to you only? No, it has not. He's asking them essentially, are you the source of truth? Are you the fountainhead of truth, oh, little church in Corinth? Were you the lone destination of gospel truth? That's what Paul's asking them. Was this all done just for you? Has it come to you only? Well, Paul is saying here quite plainly to them, on the contrary, listen to the Lord speaking through me. That's verse 38. If anyone does not recognize this, well, what is the this of verse 38? That the things I write to you, verse 37, are the Lord's command. Paul is saying, listen to the Lord speaking through me. And what was on the line for these Corinthians? What did it matter if they listened to Paul's commands that God was giving through him or not? What did it matter? Again, verse 38, if anyone does not recognize this, he himself is not recognized. He is not recognized. A person's reputation in the church 
is at stake with how he or she handles the Word of God. In fact, you could make a strong case that a person's assurance of salvation is on the line by the way they handle the Word of God. Rejecting to hear what God has said is not the fruit of the Spirit. Rejecting what God has said is a work of the flesh. And that person is not to be recognized, and we'll talk more about that momentarily. But what they did with this letter from Paul was of utmost significance. That's what Paul is communicating to them. And we do well to dwell here today because the purity of the church, the purity of our church, Orchard Hills Bible Church, rests on this. What do we do with the Word of God? Heaven forbid we would be a Bible church that ignores the Bible. So I want to start by talking about our presuppositions about the Bible. Presuppositions meaning what do we have in mind before we ever read a single word from the text of the Bible? You have something in your mind when you approach the Bible. There's already stuff there. No one approaches the Word of God with a truly blank slate. So let's talk about our presuppositions and and what they should be. The first thing I want to tell you is that our presuppositions about the Bible are necessary. You might think, well, maybe it's more ideal to have that blank slate. Maybe if we could just erase any preconceived notion we have at all, that would be the best way to approach Scripture. But I'm telling you that that's impossible. It is utterly, absolutely impossible. It's necessary that you have something in your brain when you approach Scripture. Everyone comes to Scripture with something in mind. You just you can't avoid it. There's nothing you can do to avoid this. And so the first thing you need to know is that these presuppositions are inescapable and they're necessary. But the second thing I want to communicate to you is that these presuppositions must be few. There are just a few things that we hold to, but we hold on to them very tightly and we don't let go. These are essential elements of the Christian view of Scripture. And I want to give you three simple presuppositions that if you're claiming the name of Christ, if you're claiming to be a believer in God's church, these are three things that you should bring with you to the Bible. Okay, number one. It is revelation. It's revelation from the one true God. The Creator has spoken, and He has preserved it. We believe that the Bible is revelation, okay? Revelation from God. And it's important to recognize that not only has He spoken, not only has He revealed, but a part of that is that He has, reserved, or he has preserved it. We could say reserved, too. He's reserved it for you. Uh, through His preservation, What you hold in your hands today, this book, you can say is the Word of God. This is revelation from God that He has spoken and He has preserved. So that's the first thing. It is revelation. Secondly, it is authoritative. The Bible has authority. Do you know that God only speaks with authority? God doesn't speak in any other way. And based on our first presupposition that this is from God, He has spoken it, He has preserved it, well, we have to conclude, because there's no other way that God speaks, that it is authoritative. God's holy Bible is authoritative, meaning what the Bible says is right for all of us. Whatever Scripture says is right, and it's right for each and every one. So that was the second thing. First, that it's revelation. Second, that it is authoritative. And third, And this is where the real battle is. It's sufficient. It's enough. 
It is enough to know and to establish spiritual truth in all of life. It is enough for you to know everything God wants you to know. It is sufficient. The sufficiency of Scripture is sometimes difficult to define, but I I really liked this definition from, from Wayne Grudem. I thought he did a great job summing this up. In his systematic theology, Wayne Grudem says, the sufficiency of Scripture means that Scripture contains all the words of God we need for salvation, that we need for trusting Him perfectly, and the words that we need for obeying Him perfectly. There is nothing additional needed for salvation, for trusting God, for obeying God. But Scripture is sufficient. And again, like I said, that's where the real battle is. In the Christian world, you'll bump into lots of people who claim, oh yeah, the Bible's the Word of God, but we need more. Well, God doesn't give us half of what we need, does He? God doesn't give us only a portion, but He has given us in His revelation a sufficient Word for knowing Him and living for Him perfectly. Now, will we do that? Will we actually live for Him perfectly? No. But is that the Bible's fault? No. (laughs) That would be our fault. So those are some basic presuppositions that we bring with us. Before we even read a word of the Bible, it is in our minds, we are reading the revelation from God. We are reading the authoritative Word of God, and we are reading the Word that is enough for us. If you bring any other thoughts into it, you will not have the same experience. It will not have the same effect on you because you are still sitting in the judge's chair over Scripture. And that's really what this is about. We approach Scripture not in the judgment seat, but we approach it with a desire to do and believe whatever God says. Let's talk about our behavior in response to the Bible. Because of these presuppositions, as I just said, We must have a willingness to obey that comes before understanding anything we read. We must have a willingness to obey that comes before understanding anything that we read. So think about that for a moment. If you were to switch those two items and to say, I have to understand what it means before I'm willing to obey, what does that mean? That means that you're saying, I have to run God's Word through my head and see if it passes the test before I'm going to agree with it. And that should never be the case. But there are lots of, lots of things in Scripture that are hard to understand. Even in the New Testament, for us today, directives for the church, difficult to understand. But what comes first, our willingness to obey or our understanding? Christian, it better be your willingness to hear God, to do what He says, to believe what He says to trust Him no matter what He says, because He has said it. We start with a willingness to obey, because any other method would put you in the judgment seat over the Word of God. And let me just tell you straightforward, that's sinful. It is sinful to say, I have to understand it before I'm willing to believe it or willing to obey. Now, we, of course, understand that there are elements of understanding so that you can believe rightly and so that you can obey rightly. But the willingness, friend, the willingness 
to do whatever God says, to believe whatever God says, that comes before any understanding because He is God and we are not. And our passage today informs us how to consider those who are not willing, those who are not willing to obey these Corinthians. We see in these verses, as I've already mentioned, I'll read them again. We see in these verses that a person's denial of Scripture results in a church's dismissal of that person. Again, verse 37, if anyone thinks he is a prophet or spiritual, and that's good that he includes that word spiritual. There are a few people who would say, yeah, I'm a prophet. There are a lot of people that are going to say they're spiritual. If anyone thinks he's spiritual or a prophet, let him recognize that the things which I write to you are the Lord's commandment. But if anyone does not recognize this, he is not recognized. A person who dismisses the Word of God should be dismissed in the church as an influencer. That person should not have influence over the people of God. That person should not have influence over you individually if that person is rejecting the Word that God has given us, the revelation, the authoritative and sufficient revelation of God. Now, I want to talk about what refusing to recognize a person means or dismissing a person, what that means. But first, I want to tell you what that does not mean. It's important that you understand what dismissal of a person does not mean. It doesn't mean, if you disagree with me, you're dead to me. That's not what refusing to recognize means. There are lots of areas where we're just not going to have full agreement in the Word of God. With each one of you, I'm going to have certain areas of disagreement. Now, we have a fundamental unity on those things which are primary, don't we? That's why we're Christians. That's what makes us Christians. But we're going to have disagreements in lots and lots of places. And so this doesn't mean if you disagree with me, you're wrong, I'm not talking to you ever again. Because we have to recognize our interpretation is not Scripture. Scripture is Scripture. Our interpretation is not Scripture. And we should never think, well, all, all the passages are easy to understand, so if you disagree with me, drag them out of the church. Not all passages are easy to understand. <laughs> Peter says this, 2 Peter 3, Paul writes to you in some things that are very difficult to understand. Peter, who was an apostle, who walked with Jesus for his entire earthly ministry, he says there are things in Paul that are hard to understand. So are there going to be things that are hard for us to understand? Well, yes, yes. And if you say otherwise, you're a fool, okay? So don't refuse to recognize a genuine brother or sister in Christ who's laboring in the Word who just ends up at different conclusions than you on secondary matters, okay? That's not what it means to dismiss or refuse to recognize. It also doesn't mean that we can tell who is or who is not a Christian. Paul is not saying here in verse 38, now you can walk around and you can know for sure Who's going to heaven and who's not? That is not a spiritual gift. That is not a ministry. You do not have an x-ray machine to peer into someone's soul. God alone makes those certain judgment calls. However, we do have a paradigm here, don't we? Nevertheless, it is a paradigm that Paul's giving us under the inspiration of God to judge in the church. And so, we take these words and we say, okay, if someone refusing to recognize the Word of God, he is not to be recognized. What does that mean? 
Well, it means, of course, that all the words of God must be embraced as authoritative over all of us. That's the view we take as Christians. All of the words of God are authoritative over all of us. There are no exceptions. The Word of God is authoritative. And because that's the case, it is every Christian's duty to embrace the Lord's command, isn't it? Every Christian's duty to embrace what God has said. And there are certain attitudes in the church that must be condemned. There are certain angles that people take or certain presuppositions that people take in regard to the Word of God, that absolutely have to be condemned. They cannot stand in the church. The church has to stand up against such, such views and such attitudes. And you can just imagine what some of these attitudes were like in Corinth. Let's not forget the context here. Paul writing to this church that had a lot of problems. Paul's here at the end of this chapter writing about how there is to be order in the worship service. They've been influenced by their pagan society. They've been influenced by their own pride, wanting to put on demonstrations of spirituality. And he's telling them that's not the way it should be. There has to be order in the church. And someone in the church might say, well, but that's just Paul. That's not Jesus. I know we got this letter from Paul. It was really nice to him. That's a long letter. That was really nice of him to write all that for us. But we recognize that these are black letters, not red letters, right? The title of today's message is, Does Red Weigh More Than Black, by the way, just for this very point. Because in Corinth, it's quite likely that that attitude existed. Remember at the beginning, he was talking about all these different factions. I'm of Paul, I'm of Cephas, I'm of Apollos, I'm of Christ. And you can conceive of a scenario when certain people were saying, well, I'm of Christ only, not of Paul. And those groups still exist today, don't they? As Tyler was mentioning in his devotional, people saying, well, Jesus never talked about those things Paul talked about. First of all, they're wrong because it's Jesus speaking through Paul, right? But secondly, red doesn't weigh more than black. I like red-letter Bibles. I think they're helpful. I, I use, I think this Bible's a red-letter one. I know the one on my phone is a red-letter one. I think it's helpful but not to distinguish between the most inspired words and the least inspired words. That's not what that's there for. Every word that God has inspired has the same amount of authority, has the same amount of weight, has the same amount of relevance, whether it was spoken through the mouth of our Lord Jesus Christ or whether it was spoken through His brother Jude. Every word has the same amount of weight. Someone might say, well, but Paul, he was just human like us. Jesus wasn't. We recognize that Jesus is God, and we will die for that doctrine. But as he walked in the flesh and as those red letters were recorded, he was also truly man, wasn't he? And when Paul was inspired, he didn't become like Jesus, but he did receive direct revelation from the Lord. Some people in Corinth may have said, well, that, that worship style, Paul, this worship style you're calling us to, that may have worked in Berea or somewhere else on your missionary travels, but that's just not for us. Someone making an argument like that with the Word of God. Well, that worked over there, but we're different over here. The culture's changed, Paul. 
It's changed. It's different now. You can imagine a lot of people uh, who voted for that bill, that Bill C-4, who maybe claimed to be Christians, would say, well, I know what they said in the Bible, but the culture's changed. The culture has no authority, does it? The culture is not the Word of God, is it? We stand on the Word of God. Or perhaps someone in Corinth receiving this letter would say, well, Paul, I know you said, let two or three speak in tongues, let two or three prophesy, but God told me five. God told me at our church we should do five at a time, not two or three. God told me we should do this or we should do that, disagreeing with Paul. What about that attitude in the church today? Hmm. Do we condemn that attitude just as strongly as we do the other attitudes? Yes. We do, because there is but one preserved Word of God. We have the Scripture. We have directives from God. And anybody claiming that God is contradicting Himself by giving a certain person or a certain church a directive that disagrees with the Word of God, that person is a liar and is in sin and must repent. There is zero tolerance for personal revelations that disagree with what God has said. That's what Paul is expressing in this very letter. Someone comes along and says, well, I have a prophecy that disagrees with Paul. Listen to me. Paul says, this is the Lord's commandment. Not what that spiritual guy over there said. Who is he? Paul says, I'm an apostle chosen by God. That's why we reserve that title to these men who claimed it in the first century. That is a weighty title. And he can write something that is true for all people at all time, and no one is allowed to disagree with it. That's the message that Paul is giving them here at the end of his instructions. And so anybody who says, well, God told me this or that, if it disagrees with the Word of God, then they are to be disregarded. Anyone claiming Christ while rejecting His Word is himself to be rejected. If anyone does not recognize this, again, verse 38, he himself is not recognized. Simply ignore the one who ignores the Word. Someone in the church, people who creep in, who want to ignore the Word of God, ignore them. Don't give them your ear. Don't let them influence you. Paul says, zero tolerance policy on that. And if I ever do it, drag me out. You you have the green light. No vote. We'll bypass a vote. Just drag me out. Put me out of my misery. Because we are to handle the Word of God with the utmost care, aren't we? The instructions and commands for the church must be taken seriously. They must be heeded. They must be embraced. And any informed person claiming to be a Christian who rejects Paul, we're not going to treat that person like a Christian. God knows their heart. But if that person has been warned and informed and taught and rejects the Word of God, whether it's Paul, whether it's Peter, whether it's John, whether it's Jesus, whether it's Moses... That person is to be disregarded. 
And many commentators think in this last verse, or the verse 38, not the last verse, but verse 38, they think that when Paul says, he is not recognized, he himself is not recognized, that that's in reference to God on judgment day. That he cannot stand before God and say, I rejected your word, let me in. We should disregard anyone who disregards the Word of God. Well, what does this matter in the context of 1 Corinthians? Paul's been talking about tongues and prophecy, and then he drops this big bomb. Well, you notice that the next word, the word that begins verse 39, is the word therefore. Paul clarified this point about the authority of his letter to make a point about their worship. Verse 39, Therefore, my brethren, desire earnestly to prophesy, And do not forbid speaking in tongues, but all things must be done properly and in an orderly manner. Paul is connecting the previous thought with this thought. Therefore, because this is the Word of God, do this. Our worship matters. Our worship in the local church really, really matters. We have to consider these things with seriousness. Paul tells them here at the end, calls them his his brothers again, therefore my brethren. He tells them, practice the spiritual gifts in the assembly. Tongues and prophecy, he's been talking about this through the whole chapter. And this is the last word on that, by the way, if you're really tired of talking about tongues and prophecy. You've reached the end. (laughs) Okay, good job. He tells them, employ these gifts, employ prophecy, employ tongues as the Spirit gifts you in your church. Do it. But employ these things in a properly and orderly manner. What does that mean? In a way that's befitting of Christ's name. Practice the spiritual gifts in the church. Conduct yourselves in the gathered assembly in a way that's fitting of the honor due to Christ. Do so in a way that's holy and reverent. Do so in a way that's not just random and offhand and anything goes. But do so in a way that reflects the nature of God. And this is always a struggle for local churches because you think, okay, well, the solution for that is to make a very rigid structure to every service so nothing could ever go wrong. If you've been coming here long enough, you know that doesn't work. (laughs) So, So what is the answer? Well, what it means is we all come together with hearts that desire to honor Christ by the way we act here by the things we do here, that we wouldn't do anything that was objectively sinful, that we wouldn't do anything that was foolish, but that we would seek to honor God in wisdom here together. And we do put a structure together. You get that bulletin that has the order of service and, you know, you know when we're close to being done and all that stuff. You, you know, we do that. I give you my notes. You can follow along. So, you know, when, you know, I'm close to being done right now, and I could just drag this on. <laughs> but we do that, and I think that's good. But it should never grow to such a way where we think, well, now we have, we have found the perfect order to a service, and nothing's going to happen outside of our control. Because we're still Spirit-led, aren't we? And the Holy Spirit still does things through us that are spontaneous, doesn't He? Ooh, scary. We're not as stiff as Presbyterians, okay? We're still, you know, we're still relaxed here. And there are things that God is going to do through us 
that fall outside of a rigid order of service, and that's good. But let's seek to honor Him in all things. These final verses are perhaps one last speed bump on the road to exciting chapter 15, because I could cop out here, but I'm not going to. You have to ask the question, because we believe the miraculous sign gifts have ceased, what relevance does verse 39 have for us when it says, desire to prophesy and do not forbid to speak in tongues? Well, what does a church like ours do with a verse like that? That can be a little difficult. Well, let me give you these thoughts. Should we desire earnestly to prophesy today? Should we not forbid trying to speak in tongues today? Well, on the tongues issue, tongues is easier. I'll do that one first. On the tongues issue, we, we do recognize that we have brothers and sisters in Christ who, who believe that that gift is still being employed in the church today. We have disagreements with them. And it's possible that we are wrong about that. We recognize that. Now, are we confident in our beliefs? Yeah, we are. I did a whole sermon on this called No MSG. You could check that out if you haven't heard it. That kind of gives our whole big view on that, okay? We recognize we could be wrong, though. So what does that mean? Well, we'll start here. We will forbid babble in this church. Many of the modern expressions of tongues is some kind of ecstatic speech that isn't a real language, and we've seen over and over again from the Scriptures, these were real languages. So we're going to forbid nonsensical babble. It's not edifying, is it? We're not going to do that. And then, if God in His power wants to show us we're wrong by having Rex stand up and speak Dutch, we'll just figure it out when we get there, <laughs> okay? <laughs> What about prophecy? Desire earnestly to prophesy, it says. Well, we do recognize that the heart of this is seek edification based on God's revelation. That's Paul's drum that he's been beating through chapter 14. Edify the local church. Do everything to build up the local church. Edify, edify, edify. And so we know that the expression that's being used here is the gift of prophecy. That's the particular expression that was happening in Corinth. But the big idea for every church at all times, even churches that do not have the gift of prophecy, is seek edification based on the revealed Word of God. That's our duty. And that's the principle that we can comfortably carry forward with us. We are to seek to edify, to build up, to encourage one another based on the revealed Word of God. Is God issuing prophecies today as He was in the church of Corinth in the age of the apostles? No, He's not. We deny that. We reject that here. But has God got a word for us today? Yes. Do we do well to heed it, to base every ministry off of it, to base every conversation off of it for the edification of the saints? Yes. That's our duty. That's our calling. And so we must still pursue the Word that's been given. Let's not seek a new Word. We believe Scripture is sufficient. And so we are going to pursue the Word that's been given to us for edification in the local church. Despite differences in details between Orchard Hills Bible Church in 2022 and the church at Corinth in the year AD 60 or whatever it was, the goal is still the same 2,000 years later. The goal is the same, edification, the building up of the household of God, the temple of God, 
gathered together, empowered by the Spirit, based on the revelation God has given to us. And if that's our common goal, you think things are going to work out? You think you're going to be built up? You think God's going to work amazing things in you, through you, around you? Yes. But the one who rejects this is himself to be rejected. That's the word today. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the Bible that you inspired a variety of men on multiple continents and multiple languages who have written your message for all people in all times. Thank you for your powerful preserving of your word. Thank you for your kindness in revealing it to us, that we may know you more, that we may know ourselves more, that we may understand more about reality. Give us a strong desire to pursue your word in everything we do, that we would know it, that it would flow freely through us as your spirit applies it to our current context, as you give us a vision for how we are to live based on what you have said. Thank you. Please bless our week that we would take the word of God with us to our homes, to our neighbors, to work, wherever we are, that we would never be without your truth and that we would stand up and speak your truth no matter the cost. In Jesus' name, amen.